Uh, so now we turn um, to uh, our scripture for today, uh, where we are once again um, spending time in the book of Judges, hanging out with some messy people. Um, and that uh, will be no different um, in our time we'll share together this day. I'd invite you to pray with me as we prepare to hear God's word for us this morning. Gracious and holy God, uh, right here, right now, is, is one of those opportunities to invite you in, uh, to invite you into the mess that is our lives and our world, um, and to ask you to speak to us, to tune our ears and our hearts, our spirits and our souls uh, to you, um, to listen in and to pay attention and to ask you uh, to help um, something new grow in us. Um, grow in our world um, through uh, this mess uh, that we find ourselves in and that we offer up to you. So be with us, Lord, this day. Send your spirit to this time and place. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Um, so our scripture reading comes from the 11th chapter of the book of Judges. Um, let us listen to God's word for us this day. Now Jephthah the Gilead, the son of a prostitute, was a mighty warrior. Gilead was the father of Jephthah. Gilead's wife also bore him sons, and when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah away, saying to him, You shall not inherit anything in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. Then Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob. Outlaws collected around Jephthah and, were raid and went raiding with him. After a time, the Ammonites made war against Israel. And when the Ammonites made war against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to bring Jephthah from the land of Tob. They came to Jephthah, come and be our commander, so that we might fight with the Ammonites. But Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, are you not the very ones who rejected me and drove me out of my father's house? So why do you come to me now when you are in trouble? The elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, Nevertheless, we have now turned back to you, so that you may go with us and fight with the Ammonites and become head over us, over all the inhabitants of Gilead. Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, If you bring me home again to fight with the Ammonites, and the Lord gives them over to me, I will be your head. And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, The Lord will be witness between us. We will surely do as you say. So Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, and the people made him head and commander over them. And Jephthah spoke all his words before the Lord at Mizpah. From here, in the next section of this chapter, Jephthah tries to reason or negotiate with the Ammonites. He attempts some diplomacy with them um, that ends with Jephthah calling on God's name to try to deter the Ammonites from fighting Israel. It is not I who have sinned against you, but you are the one who does me wrong by making war on me. Let the Lord who is judged decide today for the Israelites or for the Ammonites. But the king of the Ammonites did not heed the message that Jephthah sent him. Then the spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh. He passed on to Mizpah of Gilead, and then from Mizpah of Gilead, he passed on to the Ammonites. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will give the Ammonites into my hand, then whoever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me, when I return victorious from the Ammonites, shall be the Lord's. 
to be offered up by me as a burnt offering. So Jephthah crossed over to the Ammonites to fight against them, and the Lord gave them into his hand. He inflicted a massive defeat on them from Aror to the neighborhood of Minith, 20 towns, and as far as Abel Karamim. So the Ammonites were subdued before the people of Israel. Then Jephthah came to his home at Mizpah, and there was his daughter coming out to meet him with timbrels and with dancing. She was his only child. He had no son or daughter except her. When he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low. You have become the cause of great trouble to me. For I have opened my mouth to the Lord, and I cannot take my vow, take back my vow. She said to him, My father, if you have opened your mouth to the Lord, do to me according to what has gone out of your mouth. Now that the Lord has given you vengeance against your enemies, the Ammonites. And she said to her father, Let this thing be done for me. Grant me two months so that I may go and wander on the mountains and bewail my virginity, my companions and I. Go, he said, and sent her away for two months. So she departed, she and her companions, and bewailed her virginity on the mountains. At the end of two months, she returned to her father, who did with her according to the vow he had made. She had never slept with a man, so there arose an Israelite custom that for four days every year, the daughters of Israel would go out to lament the daughter of Jephthah, the Gileadite. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. So as the book of Judges continues, there's this sense of unraveling that occurs. The deeper we get into this period in Israel's history, the further the people get from God. And the consequences of that distance become more and more clear. The story of Jephthah and his daughter is a clear marker of that along the way. From the beginning, there is evidence that things just aren't quite right. While God raised up the judges early in this part of Israel's history, God doesn't seem to be involved at all in Jephthah's rise to power and is more distant throughout his story than in the earlier stories of the, judge, of the judges. The Spirit of the Lord does come upon Jephthah just before he is to head into battle, and then we are told that the Lord gave the Ammonites into Jephthah's hand. But there are no messengers bringing clear and direct instructions to Jephthah. And God feels far off in this story in more ways than one. From the beginning, there is evidence everywhere you turn of brokenness in relationship. That brokenness lies in relationships that are engaged with a transactional mindset. Or rather than entering into full and whole relationship with another, where the two give wholeheartedly to one another out of their love for each other, without expectation of direct return, the opposite is true. In transactional relationships, there is always this calculation. I will give only in relationship to what I will receive. Jephthah is the son of a prostitute, which is one of the most blatant forms of transactional relationships out there. Born out of a broken relationship, Jephthah's relationships with his half-siblings are broken as well. Those relationships also show evidence of calculations. Full siblings are entitled to their father's inheritance, but they exclude Jephthah from the transaction because he is not their mother's son. Jephthah is outcast and joins other outlaws who again break relationship 
by raiding others against their will to get their own needs met. This continues as Jephthah comes to power. The people come to find him, wanting him to be their commander, and the negotiations begin. At first, they offer him the position of commander, but he negotiates to become not just a commander, but their head, the primary leader of the people. Yet he does so from this very individualized place. We do not hear in these negotiations a concern for the people or Israel's plight, just a concern for his own position and place. Even in his negotiations with the Ammonites, we hear this focus on himself. Those negotiations begin with Jephthah asking, what is there between you and me, that you have come to me to fight against my land? There is no reference to the people or even more significantly to the land as the one of God's promise. At the end of the failed negotiations, again, the focus is on Jephthah alone. It is not I who have sinned against you, but you are the one who does me wrong by making war on me. All of this builds up to the battle between the Ammonites and Israel. Scripture tells us that the spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, and he's able to move towards the Ammonites with ease. Yet as he approaches them, rather than trusting that spirit, he makes a vow to God that once again is transactional. If, God, you do this for me, then I will do something for you. Rather than simply trusting God's power and presence, Jephthah tries to leverage or manipulate God with what is tantamount to a bribe. As one scholar I read this week noted, there are others in Israelite history who make vows to God, but the vows themselves are not transactional in nature. In Genesis, when Jacob strikes out on his own for the first time, he vows that the Lord will be his God if the Lord would take care of his needs, be present to him, and guard him along the way. This isn't one solitary act in exchange for another. This is a vow to share in deep and unending relationship if the Lord is extending the same to him. In 1 Samuel, Hannah pours out her soul to God asking for a son who she promises to dedicate to the Lord's service if he is given to her. Again here, we see a depth of relationship, a desire to pour out thanksgiving in response to God's outpouring of blessing. Jephthah's vow feels different here. Again, we see the self-centeredness in its warding. Jephthah doesn't ask God to save or defend the people of Israel. He negotiates with God to give the Ammonites into his hand so that he can return victorious. He also doesn't knowingly offer up a personal sacrifice. The language in the Hebrew could be interpreted as whoever or whatever. Whoever or whatever comes out of my house first. There is a casualness about what he will offer up as a burnt offering that of course gets eliminated when Jephthah watches his own daughter run out to greet him after he returns victorious from the battle. What actually happens to Jephthah's daughter as a result of his vow is highly contested by scholars, with many arguing that Jephthah did have her, did have her offered as a burnt sacrifice to honor his vow, something that was strictly prohibited in the law of God while others argue that she, much like Hannah Samuel, was dedicated to God to live a life of celibacy and service to the Lord. 
A careful review of the text reveals that the text is left ambiguous, which some say may very well be the point. As Tennis T. Olson puts it in his commentary, the effect of the ambivalence is to heighten suspense, to draw the reader into wrestling with the moral dilemmas and ambiguities of the story, and to increase the sense of horror at a possibility so repulsive that it is not described, but left only as an imagined possibility. While Jephthah's daughter's fate is ambiguous, the contrast between Jephthah's vow and his daughter's response is stark. Even in the moment, he realizes the consequences of his vow as his daughter runs out to greet him. Jephthah is only thinking of himself. Instead of grieving with her for her fate or apologizing for the plight he has caused her, he expresses anger at her. You have brought me very low. You have become the cause of great trouble to me. His daughter, on the other hand, exhibits the character of relationship God longs for us from the moment she steps on the scene. Her father returns victorious from battle, and she runs out to greet him in joy and celebration, an outpouring of love for him as he returns home. She receives the news of his vow, the news of her fate. She names that it is worth it. Whether her fate is the sacrifice of her future life as wife and mother or her life altogether, she names that if he won the battle, it is worth it and simply asks to be given time to mourn the future she will not have before he fulfills the vow. Here we see the outpouring of love, the willing to give without promise of return that God models for us. We also recognize the consequences when that way of being in a relationship is not mutual. If one partner is not willing to sacrifice, to give freely, if one partner is functioning from a selfish place, a transactional place, the relationship will remain broken, uneven, will not be life-giving to either partner, and in fact can be quite the opposite to the one who has given freely. Jephthah's daughter and the consequences she suffered for her outpouring of love Remind me of another child of God who sacrificed for the ones he loved as well. It is no accident that as God becomes more distant to the people of Israel, that their relationships become more broken. When I think of who Jephthah becomes, I'm reminded of his beginnings that he was born out of a broken transactional relationship and treated poorly, judged unfairly by those who were supposed to love him as a result. His selfishness, the transactional way he operates in the world, is born out of those beginnings and is not fully redeemed here because Jephthah does not draw close to the God who would reveal to him his inherent worth. And as a result... A different way. It is easy in our world today to function a a lot like Jephthah. We live in a world where so much of our existence is transactional. We've been born into a world where so many relationships are broken. We struggle to trust. We wonder what's in it for them 
We can't receive a gift without figuring out how to return it. So we are not beholden upon one another. When it comes to our faith, it is easy to keep God at a distance. To wait, to throw up prayers that sound a lot like Jephthah's, Jephthah's only when we are stuck, afraid, and unsure if we will win the battle before us. God, I will do if you would only, we pray. The trouble is, y'all, if we live like that, and believe me, it is easy to do, but if, if we live like that, we will miss out on so much of what this life can hold and be. And we will perpetuate the brokenness around us. With all Jephthah's eyes and my's and me's that are scattered throughout this text, when I get to the end of it, I feel how alone he must have been. Our God longs for so much more for us. Our God gives of himself freely, pours out love and grace again and again to draw us close, to heal what is broken, to redeem and to restore. When we learn to trust the spirit of the Lord and to respond to God's love and presence in our lives with the same outpouring, y'all, we come alive. And when we are fully alive, we contribute to the healing and the life of this world. Don't get me wrong. God will use us as God can, even if we are a mess. Jephthah did lead the Israelites to defeat the Ammonites. Yet if we could accept the mercy of our God, learn to trust our God and live with that same mercy and trust in our relationships with one another, y'all, God could do so much more in us and through us. And we would do so much less harm to one another along the way. So may it be so. Amen.